Well, welcome to this session with Grace Point Church as we look into the Word of God together. Uh, before we begin, though, there are a couple of announcement, announcements I would like to make. And the first one is uh, concerning our office administrator, Barb Reddick. Uh, you may or may not know that Barb is retiring. Effective uh, Monday, August 31st will be her final day in the offices. She has served us for 16 years and has been a faithful and uh, just a wonderful partner in ministry there. And uh, she is retiring and we wish her well as she and Rick uh, move on. We thank Rick also uh, for the ministry of his wife. And so we have been strengthened uh, through Barb's quiet and kind of behind the scenes ministry. And I personally am very thankful for her faithfulness and care about, for all of us really uh, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, I wish Barb Reddick and Rick Godspeed in your retirement as you begin that time. Uh, so remember to pray for Barb, and if you would like to send her a note of uh, thanks or an email, you can do so uh, through our church offices here. So we really appreciate her. Also, just to give you a heads up that in the month of September, we will be having a guest speaker in, in these sessions. And our guest speaker is Dr. J. Scott Harrell. And uh, some of you know him. Uh, Scott grew up in this church. His family were active members of this church. He and his siblings were in youth groups together uh, with many of you. And uh, so Scott now is a professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, he has very graciously agreed to share some teaching on the Trinity and the implications of the Trinity for the Christian life. And uh, it's an excellent series. And uh, he comes to us uh, by, with permission and really the generosity of the Passion Global Institute where these messages were first given and uh, in partnership with Dallas Theological Seminary. So uh, Scott and his wife Ruth are coming to us, uh, well Scott is, by uh, uh, video messages. And I encourage you to really pay attention to what Scott has to say. He's been a missionary, he's a theologian, he still travels the world and teaches uh, as he has opportunities in many different cultures. He's written books, uh, not only in English, but in Portuguese. He was a missionary to Brazil. And so Scott is a very close friend of Grace Point Church and uh, we are being blessed by his care for us. So in our next session, uh, you will see J. Scott Harrell, better known to us as uh, Scott, and uh, with this series on the Triune Godhead. And so look forward to that and uh, make sure you take some notes as he speaks. Well, today we are coming uh, to uh, the end uh, or the end of August here, the final message out uh, of the Word of God in August for us here at Grace Point Church. And even though we finished up the book of Colossians, you know, one of the prison letters, uh, I'm jumping over into another prison letter, uh, the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul, of course, is imprisoned in Rome, and he wrote uh, Philippians, Colossians, and uh, Philemon, uh, known as the prison epistles. And uh, so we are coming over to the letter of Philippians. I just wanted to touch base uh, very briefly here in this message with you and hopefully encourage you with the Word of God, from the Word of God, as God uses it through the power of His Holy Spirit to impact your life and all of our lives together, because I believe the message today 
all of us need. I certainly do, and it's been good and rich for me uh, in my preparation and thinking through and studying uh, these few passages we'll look at today. Uh, some of you have probably uh, run a marathon. What is it, 26.2 miles? And uh, there are marathons uh, all the time, and people run marathons, and uh, I think it's an amazing feat myself. My uh, daughter, youngest daughter, has run a few marathons. Uh, but when it comes to people asking me if I would like to run a marathon, I always reflect back on the words of President Calvin Coolidge in the 1928 elections where he said, I choose not to run. And so that's my standard answer when it comes to marathons is I choose not to run. And yet, you know, our life, the Christian life is not a sprint as uh, many have said. It is more of a marathon that we are running and uh, the question is today is how do we run this marathon when we are exhausted, weary, facing difficulties, and if not seemingly impossible circumstances? Uh, that's what we face. All of us uh, are facing uh, unusual, if not directly adverse circumstances, whether it's through the education of our children, through our uh, employment through just social interaction with family and friends and especially our church family. I understand that. And Paul gives us great uh, encouragement in this letter to the church at Philippi. And so I want us to come to this today. And I don't have to tell you uh, what you already know, but just to cover it a little bit is that Life is really full of setbacks. If you've lived many years at all, you know that there are setbacks in life. There's discouragement, there's uncertainty for sure. And in Paul's day and age, the churches of Asia Minor, the present day Turkey, the, the churches there experienced many challenges and the apostle Paul writes to encourage them and to correct their thinking. And as we saw in the letter to the Colossian church, uh, to exalt the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And many of these churches were suffering in the form of persecution, either outright or oppression. Uh, but through it all, they held fast to the firm belief of Jesus Christ and his soon return. Uh, and so the Apostle Paul needed to give them a reminder about what was really going on in the world. You know, it's sometimes not what we experience and what we see is not the reality, but it's what Jesus Christ is doing and based on his character. And so the Apostle Paul, if you take your copy of God's Word, turn to the little letter of Philippians in the New Testament, and we will look at just a few brief passages as we kind of speed through this book. We'll return to it later in, in the month of October, Lord willing, and uh, do a more in-depth study of the letter, this prison epistle to the church at Philippi. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the fact that even though uh, the world seems turned upside down to us sometimes. Uh, it is not to you, and you are in working out all things in your providence for your glory and the good of your people. And Lord, even though it doesn't feel like it from time to time, uh, we have to trust your word, and that's what faith is about. Trust your character. And thank you for your word today. Thank you for each one who is uh, viewing this, and pray that all of us would grow in the knowledge and the grace and the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. All right, if you're in the first chapter of the letter to the church at Philippi by the Apostle Paul, I want you to look at verse 12. Verse 12, where he says, I want you to know, brethren, 
that my circumstances, I want you to know, he wants us to know something, and that is a really a structural marker, it's an indicator that this is important. Uh, the Apostle Paul's emphasizing this. He's writing from prison in Rome, writing to this church family, and uh, he says, I want you to know, I really want you to know about my happenings or my circumstances. As I compared different translations, different versions of our Bibles, uh, many of the versions, King James, NIV, ESV, some of the others, instead of circumstances, talk about what has happened to me. And we talk about our happenings, and all of us have happenings, don't we? Our circumstances, all of us have circumstances, and they may be positive or neutral or quite negative, and that's just part of life. And so the Apostle Paul is saying that he wants these people to know about his circumstances. Well, what were his circumstances? Well, it had begun quite a few years before when he was unjustly arrested in Jerusalem. And uh, there was deceit, malpractice, vilification all about him. Uh, just much grief. And he looks back and he asserts that what has happened to me, these are the things that have happened to me. Uh, to many of us, uh, we would look at the Apostle Paul's ministry and maybe think, oh, what a failure, you know? He's still imprisoned, he's still in chains, uh, he's unheard. Uh, he, he always wanted to go to Rome to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, but now his life is uncertain. He looks back and declares, what has happened to me? And notice the next word, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel the greater progress of the gospel. Isn't that interesting that this was something he did not anticipate being in chains in Rome. He anticipated going as a preacher, not a prisoner, and yet he didn't stop preaching the Lord Jesus Christ in his chains. And perhaps it looked like a failure to some, but yet he was single-minded about what Jesus Christ was doing and about his faith in his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul did not find his joy in circumstances, by the way. He found his joy in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if his circumstances pr promoted the furtherance of the good news of Christ, that was all that mattered. The word furtherance, it's, uh, or the greater progress in my translation, uh, it's, it means a pioneering advance. It means that uh, he is going forward in this. And so we see that the Apostle Paul is wanting these people to know, and by extension through the Word of God to us, he wants us to know that his circumstances have turned out for a greater progress of the gospel. And of course, uh, probably all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we could trace back our spiritual lineage somehow to find out who shared Jesus with the person before us and before them and on and on and on clear back, we would probably find some connection to the early missionary work of the Apostle Paul through the Gentile world, the then known world of the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Henry David Thoreau in his book Walden wrote that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. And sometimes, especially in our current events, current situation, it seems as if our life circumstances are changed to hold us back from real joy, real happiness. Our hearts probably are crying for release uh, from unpleasant and adverse happenings, our circumstances at the moment. 
but we would only find the next set of circumstances that may be worse than the first. We don't know. We're unsure of that. What is the answer? How can we live a life full of joy? How can we live a life in the midst of life's happenings uh, where we have a greater sense of purpose and belonging? So he says, I want you to know about my happenings, about my circumstances. There are three things we're going to see as we just kind of do a survey through here very quickly. And the first one is, is whatever happens, stand firm. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether, where, whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm. That you are standing firm. Whatever happens, stand firm. And of course, he's referencing uh, the Christian life. He's referencing our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referencing the anchor of our souls, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he says, <clears throat> conduct yourselves. It means live as a citizen, live as a citizen of heaven, really. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, and so the people he was writing to understood citizenship greatly. And he said, live this way, live as a citizen. It's a political word. Embrace a common cause, one spirit, one man, one faith. And the idea is an athletic team, stand firm. Uh, when I was in high school, I was on our high school football team and I still suffer from uh, football injuries I received in high school. And it was splinters from sitting on the bench. But I remember in our training as a lineman, you know, the lineman on uh, offense would uh, lock our legs in a certain way that it was almost impenetrable to get back to the quarterback. And the idea was to stand firm. The idea that we can't stand firm all by ourselves. We stand firm with others in the body of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever happens, stand firm. You can't stand firm by yourself. And I would encourage you to reach out to others within your circle of context, other believers, whether it's in your life group or friends or family, uh, and just make sure that you're standing firm with others in this time, especially uh, that we're not meeting in person together. We need a greater cause than ourselves, and you can stand firm in the midst of your happenings. So whatever happens, the Apostle Paul says, stand firm and that comes after his declaration of who he was for me to live as christ and to die as gain and uh, he has a purpose and a centrality and he's centered in his life so whatever happens stand firm the second one we find in chapter 3 page over to chapter 3 verse 14 whatever happens press on whatever happens press on if you know me, I tend to use that uh, terminology, Paul's terminology, to press on, and it means to press on in the faith. Look at verse 12. Uh, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of it for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He has just gotten done with a paragraph about all the things that he had and that he left behind. But whatever things were gained to me, verse seven, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse eight, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So he presses on, he presses on. The things that used to be important to him 
he is just considered loss or as rubbish because he is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He presses on. Again, he repeats it down in verse, uh, uh, verse 13 through 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to that what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he exhorts the reader here in verse 15, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, which means maturing, uh, none of us are perfect in the absolute perfection, but this word means that we are maturing, that we're growing in our faith, have this attitude that in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. You know, it's easy to get distracted and deflected from what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the world's condition, because of this pandemic, because of our circumstances. But Paul says, whatever happens, not only stand firm, but press on. It's a movement towards the future. And uh, we are distinctive in that. Our identity is, a, is distinctive in what Jesus Christ has done. So whatever happens, stand firm, Whatever happens, press on. And thirdly, and finally, whatever happens, rejoice. Look at chapter four. Of course, joy is a major theme through the book of Philippians. And it seems unusual, doesn't it, that a man in chains in a prison in Rome would have all this joy and be encouraging people to be joyful. But remember, joy is a consequence. It's not a requirement. Joy is a consequence of something Outside of ourselves, it is not a requirement. Solomon, King Solomon, left us many <clears throat> statements about the value of joy in our lives. In the book of Proverbs, listen to a few of these. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones, Proverbs 17, 22. A few more. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken, 15, 13 there. I think it was uh, Spurgeon said, when you talk about heaven, let your face light up and be joyful. But when you're uh, talking about anything else, use your everyday face. Or when you're talking about sin, use your everyday face. And uh, in chapter 15, again, a cheerful heart has a continual feast. There is no more effective testimony of a changed life than a winsome spirit, a joyful spirit. And you know people like this, you know believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who in spite of their circumstances, in the midst of their circumstances and their happenings, are so joyful and they have a winsomeness about them. I think of a man in our own congregation who calls me once in a while to check on me and uh, to tell me things, and he is so joyful in the midst of difficulty. The joy that oozes from that kind of person is contagious. Uh, when I get a call from this gentleman, uh, it is contagious. It lifts my soul, lifts my heart for that day. Uh, Christians talk a lot about faith and hope, and yet we often fail to emphasize the value of joy, don't we? And that's kind of a strange thing, especially since it appears next to the top of the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, <laughs> Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Holy Spirit energized. Fruit is produced by the Spirit. Uh, you've probably all heard that when Queen Elizabeth of England, when she's in residence at Balmoral Castle, her flag is flown from the ramparts to announce that the royalty is there. 
Likewise, for the Christ follower, uh, the uh, sovereign's banner should announce his presence. Joy, and this is a quote, joy is the flag flying high above the castle of the heart announcing that the king is in residence there. So my question is, is in your heart, is there a banner flying high which expresses that joy that the Lord Jesus Christ is in residence there? Joy is a product of abundance. Do you ever think about that? Not in material things, but in abundance. It is the overflow of the vitality of Jesus Christ. It is exuberance that is not dependent upon our happenings, not dependent upon our circumstances. And it is not the product of our efforts. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. Did you get that? Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. But in the book of Psalms, if you go back and read through the, some of the Psalms, there is a re, they relate there that there is a rehearsal of looking back to the character of God, to see how faithful God is, how all-powerful he is. And when we do that, when we do that, we can decide to live in response to the character of God and not under the dictatorship of our own circumstances. We can decide to live in the environment of the living God. We can decide to center ourselves in God who generously gives and is for you. That revolutionized my life when I understood that God is for me. He's not for my sin, but he is for me as a son of God. A certain consequence is joy. So trust in God's sovereignty when you believe that God is in control of all things, including your circumstances. It compels us through life and so that whatever happens to us, we can stand firm, press on, and rejoice in him. Stand firm, press on, rejoice in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, all of history is under God's control. In fact, some say that history is really his story. Uh, nothing happens outside of God's plans. There's a message that we can take heed of as well. We need to remember that there's a battle between good and evil going on and we're caught in the middle of it. And uh, that's the aspect, that's the reality of this present world. And so as you experience these setbacks, your discouragements, uncertainty in life, remember that Jesus Christ is still king. He is sovereign. He is overcoming all things. He is central to God's plan and he will not allow evil to run rampant and destroy his creation. Until Christ returns, however, we will experience trouble in this life and suffering. But in the midst of your struggles, questions, and concerns, God's word for you through his revelation to, to us is this. Stand firm, be faithful, endure to the end. I'm on your side and I will ultimately have the total victory. That's a wonderful promise. Alan Redpath wrote these words. He said, there is no circumstance, there is no trouble, there is no testing that can ever touch me until first of all, it has gone through God, through Jesus, and right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment, but as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept that it's coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing in my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me, no trial will ever disarm me, no circumstance will cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of who my Lord is. Amen and amen. Well, that will complete uh, this time, this, this session for us, but let me send you out with the benediction 
out of the letter to the church at Philippians, found in chapter 4, verses 19, and verse 19 and 20. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Go in God's grace and peace and mercy, and may your week be a blessing to yourself and others.